Welcome to From Spark to Shelf, a writing podcast that focuses on the journey, not the destination. I'm Jenna DeVilliers, a YA sci-fi and fantasy writer in the Query Trenches. After almost a decade in the writing community, I've seen a thing or two, and I know how discouraging it can feel as you're trying to break in. That's why I'm interviewing writers like me, still querying and learning their craft, to show that no matter how hard it can feel, if you keep at it, you'll reach your goals. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of From Spark to Shelf. I'm so excited today to be interviewing Chris Menino. Chris studied mythology and literature both in America and at Oxford. Growing up with adventure and fantasy stories filled with magic and imagination fueled him to create stories of his own. His writing journey began when he was stranded on the Cornish coast at the supposed birthplace of King Arthur and watched the sunrise over castle ruins. The experience inspired the scythe wielder's secret. He lives near Washington, D.C. with his wife and two inspiring children. In addition to his four released books, he has written nine more currently on submission. Menino is represented by Stephen Fraser of the Jennifer DeChiara Literary Agency. Hey, Chris, how's it going? We're going well. Thank you for having me. Of course, yeah. So this is a little bit different today. This is the first episode that I've recorded with someone who is actually already represented and you're on submission. That's really exciting. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's certainly different. It's a different part of the process. It's... um. When you're actually on submission, it's a little less exciting than you think it will be, <laughs> to be totally honest. Um, but it, it is um, definitely an important, uh, an important step. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so you write sci-fi and fantasy, so you write in the adult genre, uh, I, not genre, age category. I write all ages, um, picture okay. book through adult. I only wrote one sci-fi uh, so I, I really am a fantasy author. I have one, I have one sci-fi already out there and it's, it's good, but it's, it re- made me realize that it's, it's more fantasy for me. So it's, it's fantasy picture book through adults and um, everything in between. All right. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. I, I've written one sci-fi, but it's more on the side of fantasy. I think I kind of gear towards fantasy too, but, but I like both, but so like, writing picture books I've heard is so difficult. Like, how do you find that process? (laughs) So I did not, you know, I don't think I intended to be a picture book author. I I started Scythe Builders, which was my first one out is, is I'm YA. And then I kind of went from there to adult and I was writing adult for a long time. And I was not able to break into, um, the agent field. Like I was, I was kind of stuck in query trenches for a long time. And I, I decided to try writing something that was a lot shorter and a lot simpler. And that's kind of what brought me to kid lit. And I started writing middle grade and I started um, going back to young adult. Um, And it wasn't until after I signed and Steve, who's a, he's a great agent. He does rep all ages. Um, but he also does, he's actually one of the, the top agents in terms of picture books. That's just one of the things he really does well. I was like, well, we had had this talk when I signed. I told him I eventually wanted to do all ages. One of the authors I admire most, Neil Gaiman, is successful. He's one of the only authors I can think of off the bat who is successful picture book through adult. And he was one of the ones who I had mentioned I kind of wanted to, to be like that. And so I was like, I'm going to do it. And when it came down to it, I read literally 50 or more picture books every day 
because <laughs> I'm a stay-at-home dad. I have two children. One just turned two, and the other one is almost five. And what we read is picture books. We read so many picture books. I just got 21 new picture books today out of the library. So I was like, I clearly know the genre. <laughs> I might as well try it. Um, but it is different. It is different going from those those adult ones that are over 100,000 words and you know they're going to be these massive series to try to get something down in four or 500 words that is a complete story. And then the real challenge is you have to leave space. Um, when I sent my newest picture book to Steve, he actually kind of tore it to shreds and he sent it right back. And he's like, nope, there isn't enough room for the illustrator. This is a lovely short story. And that was not a compliment because I wasn't trying to write a short story. I was trying to write a picture <laughs> book. And a picture book is kind of half a story. That was his point. And, uh, and so it is a, a unique challenge, but it's been, uh, it's been fun getting into that, um, to that genre as well. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, with two small children, you read so many picture books. It, it's got to be at least a little easier because you know the format. Yeah, the, the format is, is pretty, um, is pretty simple. It's easy for me to picture them. I'll, I'll say that. I'm certainly <laughs> surrounded by them. Definitely. So you kind of talked a little bit about it, but I was wondering if you could kind of take us through your querying journey, like how you when, when you started, how you started, and just what led up to you signing with Steve. Sure. My querying journey, uh, well, it's kind of ironic. We're recording this on uh, May 3rd, um, which is the day before a, a holiday to some nerds like myself, because <laughs> yes. I will be be brutally honest and say that my journey began a long time ago, <laughs> and it does feel like a galaxy far, far away. Um, but uh, you know, you mentioned when you were reading the, the bio that I um, I was inspired to write this. That was a decade ago that I got stranded in Cornwall, and that was the beginning of my serious writing. And that was my first time really in the quarry trenches. I wrote this book. It took me about a year to write. The first novel is called School of Deaths. It was inspired by this amazing experience. And I was living in Oxford at the time, which if you've never been there, all of the Harry Potter stuff is based on Oxford. And where I was writing it was where they filmed all the Harry Potter films. Like I was literally writing in Duke Humphrey's library, which was the restricted section in the films of the library. Oh, wow. And it was above Flitwick's class. And the outside wall was what they used for the hospital wall. I mean, it, it was kind of hard not to get that vibe because that's where I was living. Um, so I, 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 and it's a very Harry Potter-ish book, I fully admit. So I, I had this book and I knew it was pretty good. I had spent a year on it and I dove into the quarry trenches and I spent about a year and I did not get an agent. And I was like, I really want to get this out there. So that's when I started querying small press, which is the direction that that series went. Um, did a full trilogy, small press, ended up doing a, a self-pubbed novel. That's the one sci-fi I wrote just to kind of experience what that was like. And during that time, I... I knew I wanted to, to get even farther. I, I knew I wanted to get into that um, kind of big press and the big agents. So I spent eight years uh, kind of in and out of the query trenches. I actually signed with one agent briefly, did not work out, was a, a mistake, didn't even sub my book anywhere. He's not even an agent anymore. 
And when that happens, you're back to square one. Doesn't even matter that you had that experience. Um, yeah, and then I finally kind of lucked out after I was acquiring and pivoting project after project. And I just kind of kept holding on to them. I think that's one thing a lot of querying people have trouble with is the feeling like if it doesn't work with one project, you know, that's it. That was my best thing ever. And I think especially when I left my first um, agent and I had queried with this this um, fantasy called Everdon, and that had landed me my first agent. And I was so proud of it. It was the best thing I had ever written. I, I was like, I'm never going to write anything better than this is what I believed at the time. And that was the closest I came to giving up completely. Uh, when we parted ways and I was back to square one, book hadn't even been on submission, really frustrating. And I said, you know what? I have a choice. You know, it's easy to give up. I can give up. If I want to self-publish it, you know, that's really easy. I can do that. Nobody will read it, <laughs> realistically. <laughs> um, or, you know, I can set it aside and write something new and keep trying until you find that match. And that and that's what I chose to do. The um the book that landed Steve, um, I had been querying a full year. It's a middle grade fantasy called Starkeeper. Um, it's about a boy whose job it is. He wants to be a poet. This is this 13 year old boy named Jack and his job. That's the job he wants is to be a poet in this world. That's really respected, but his family career, what the family does is they're one of these 50 people who go up onto the sky. The sky is a, like a solid dome and they hang the stars each night and then take them down before morning. And he does not want to do that. That's grunt work. It's boring. And so it was just really fun to play around with this world. You're taking this idea that sounds so inspiring, but you're making a character who has no inspiration from it. And yet you have to write it in a way that at the same time is inspiring. So it was, it was a lot of fun to play with that story. And I ended up sending the, um, the query to Jenda Kiara herself, actually, um, I had queried Steve much earlier and he had never responded. No, no. Um, then I queried the head of the agency and she sent it to Steve. And a day later, he said, send me the full. And a week after that, he was on the phone with me. And then he, later on, he told me it had never gotten through, by the way. Oh, you asked no. about, I've said that's because I, I know your, your um, podcast is focused on querying a lot. Agents do lose things. You know, I had marked it as closed, no response. He told me point blank, he, it, it never, you know, made it to his thing somehow, like it did just get lost. And he told me if he had seen it, he probably would have had the same reaction and offered within a week. Oh, wow. That's, that's good to hear, though, because sometimes like, what, what happened? Like, <laughs> did mm -hmm. it go somewhere and into the ether? So yeah, I guess it does. It, sometimes. it does happen. It does. You know, things do get lost or overlooked or whatever starkeeper i will i will add in terms of the query process i got more requests with starkeeper than i had ever had i'm um, by the time steve requested the full even before he i'm um, offered on it i think he was my 12th maybe even my 13th or 14th full request there was there were a lot wow. but i was getting the feedback i was getting from the full requests was so contradictory 
that it was really frustrating. I, I actually got two full request responses within two days of each other, which never happens. But this happened from two completely separate agents. And they had both had my full for a while. And one of them came back and said, this is absolutely beautiful writing, wonderful story. I can't offer because the book is too fast. It's rushed. Then the next day, I got a different response. This is wonderful. I really like it. It's, it's great. It's fun. It's imaginative. But I can't offer because it's too slow. It just feels <laughs> like it's dragging. And I was like, so so what do I do? <laughs> and, and the answer is you can't do anything. But yeah. I think that goes to that response. When you start getting those responses from agents, especially on full requests, really take it with a grain of salt. I, I think that's one lesson I definitely learned. Yeah, for sure. And I think when you get to that point where you're getting the requests, but they're so polar opposite like that, it just means that you're really close because it's so subjective mm -hmm. at that point. Unless yep, it's a specific, absolutely. you know, craft problem, then you're probably... Yeah, when they start telling you the opposite things, you're just looking for the right advocate for your work. Yeah. And to go back to what I said about shelving all those other projects, so I have nine, as you said, on um, submission ready. He's only sent two out so far. He doesn't want to send everything at once. But we have two on, on submission right now, and... That includes Starkeeper, the one he signed with, and Everdawn, which was that other one that was my favorite. It's on submission right now with the big presses too. Those projects, and for me, that was a really exciting um, moment for that in particular because that was that that book that I was going to give up over. That was my, you know, kind of my favorite project for a while, and the one that got my first agent. And that moment of heartbreak, and then to have it kind of come back from the dead, so to speak, that was a project that was dead and had been abandoned for, for a long time. And it's fresh and it's out there and publishers are seeing it for the first time. And it's like all of that baggage that might have happened to me doesn't even matter. And that's really um, a wonderful thing. And that's a wonderful part of this process. Yeah, I love that, too, because, you know, it was so frustrating and heartbreaking at the time that it never even went on submission. But that just means mm -hmm. that now you still have a chance with it because nobody's seen it. So that's absolutely. Really yeah, I try I try to keep that in mind, too, because I haven't been agented yet. And I was like, OK, I have all these trunked books, which may be useful someday. They might not, but they might. Yeah, never, never delete them. And if your goal <laughs> is. The big press, um, like I, I have one friend who's like wrestling right now is like, do I want to just start self-publishing these? And I'm like, if you're going, if you're going to keep querying, you know, just hold on to it because your agent, if they're a good agent and, and there are all kinds of agents out there is, is true. <laughs> but if you have a good agent, they're going to start reading all your stuff and they're going to be anxious to put you know, all your stuff out there. I, that's one of the things I love most about Steve is he reads everything I have. And he's he's gone like book through book and had feedback for book after book and a plan for all these. And that's that's just been, you know, to know that I have, you know, maybe I don't have an offer yet, which I, which I don't obviously, but I know that it will happen with something. And I think that that's, um, that gives me a lot more chances because there's so many more books for that to happen with, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. 
So how has it been for you, especially as a stay-at-home dad, just writing and, well, I say querying, but you probably haven't been querying uh, since the pandemic started. Um, well, I, I landed Steve in August of last year. So I was querying during the pandemic. Okay. And I will say the pandemic has definitely slowed things. And Steve has actually mentioned this almost every time we talked. And he's never seen it like this. And he's been in publishing for decades that things are slower with the pandemic. That is true. And things on the submission end, when you land an agent, are slower with the pandemic. That might be changing now. You know, obviously we're in a, a new phase with people getting vaccinated and things opening back up and hopefully, you know, all the schools opening and all that stuff. But, and that does affect, you know, the publishing world. A lot of the reason it's been so slow is people staying at home with their kids. <laughs> um, but for me, I, I will say it definitely affected me in a couple ways. I think I think kind of the frustration, I think the pan, the key word with the pandemic for, for I would imagine everybody, but <laughs> the one I can relate to the most is stagnation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's a, a hard word. And I think that we all know what that feels like. You know, you're stuck. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. And I, you know, that's what querying is, you know, to be blunt. Querying is feeling stagnant. And yeah, I definitely felt that. And I, you know, ironically, in some ways, it's actually even harder when you're on submission because querying at least, one of the nice things about querying that you don't even realize when you're kind of doing it is querying in a way is almost communal. I would make that argument because there are so many groups out there. There's a billion books out there. There's a thousand websites and workshops and, you know, even this podcast, like how to query is a thing. It's a thing that every writer, you know, kind of dives into and has other writers talking about it. And there's groups and there's, you know, all kinds of support out there. And there's everybody's in the trenches together. And we're going to do this Twitter contest together and that kind of thing. And that's great. That's really good. And then you have all the data too. If you're on query tracker and you're looking at all this information or you're doing it yourself or however you're doing it, you're looking at publishers marketplace data on each agent. And then you get to the submission phase and it's like, you've gone through this first door. That's how I would describe it. And it's massive and it's great. And it is an amazing feeling when you sign that agent. And for about a month, you are walking on air and you are celebrating and, you know, you've done something nice for yourself. We went out to a nice dinner and, you know, it is this wonderful, wonderful moment. And then you're kind of like, okay, now what, where is everybody? And you suddenly start to feel really, really alone. And part of it is there's no data. There's nothing to look at and there's nothing to do. So your time is freed up. You're not spending your time querying. But at the same time, the support groups all of a sudden don't want to talk to you. You're the one with the agent. They're all a little jealous of you. All the massive thousands of things like on Twitter and Facebook and and social media, they're not really there. There's like one or two groups for submission and they're awful. I actually started my own in response because I, I joined this one. And it was all people complaining about their agents. I'm like, I love my agent. I don't want to complain about him. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> and, and it's a really weird feeling. And like, so Steve will tell me, he's like, oh, I sent it to 
this person, this person, this person. I sent it to this, you know, publisher. That, and, and, you know, I recognize, you know, the imprint's names. Maybe I go and look up the publisher and I can, you know, find out a little bit about them. But there's really nothing for me to look at beyond that. There's no data that tells me like, oh, this is their average response time. Oh, this is what they say. There's, there's none of that. So it's very quiet and removed. And once that starts to sink in, it's very um, different on the submissions field. But I will say the best part about the submission field and the, the best thing you can do in, in the query trenches to prepare yourself for it is to get used to that focusing on another project. What helped me the most querying is when I was querying, no matter what book I was querying, and I queried a bunch of different projects. When I was querying, I was always 100% focused on something different. So I would, I had my basic query letter. I would do my research, send out my query letter. I don't think that takes much mental energy. It takes some time. And all of my mental energy was on whatever I'm drafting. And I was always drafting something new. You asked about the pandemic. That was the other way it affected me. I started writing a big fantasy about two kids in the pandemic and how they escaped it in a fantasy. It was a very real book. It's come out really well. I'm happy with it. It's one of the ones Steve has now. But that was where my attention was, like at the beginning of the pandemic. My attention is going to be on this book, on what I'm drafting. Here's me mindlessly sending off a query. And then when you get to the submission phase, same kind of thing. I'll check in with Steve. He'll tell me what's going on. Okay, there's nothing I can do about it. There's absolutely nothing for me to do. I better start putting my mind on a completely different project or else I'm going to drive myself nuts. Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, it's always good at any stage to just focus on something else so that if you do get an email in your inbox, you're like, oh, yeah, I did send them some things out. So, <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what you're working on now and maybe if you remember anything specific that inspired it? Sure. I'm currently drafting or I'm currently working on, I should say, three books. I always am working on multiple books at a time. I, I'm in a number of groups, writing groups, and this question comes up all the time is how do you do more than one at a time? And my answer is always, how do you only do one at a time? <laughs> I, that's just how I work. I, I have a hard time focusing so narrowly. Like I feel like sometimes I even get bored. Like I need to start juggling things that that's just me. I'm, I'm a workaholic, I guess <laughs> I, I am. I have been told that many times. <laughs> um, but the three projects I'm working on, I have one is a middle grade fantasy which is set in the same world as Starkeeper. It's not a series. It's not a, a sequel, but this will be the third one in that world. Um, so it was obviously very much inspired by the other two books. The world has been really fun to, to create. The, the world building is so remarkably simple. And the world building idea behind that world is simply everything in nature is a job. Boom, that's it. That's the world. And so I was talking about like hanging the stars. Yeah, the stars coming out in the sky, that's a job. The second book, it's a guy who turns the seasons because that's a job. And then his friend has to color all the leaves because that's a job. That's, and and that, that world kind of writes itself. And so the third book is about manufacturing time. Time, obviously, totally a job. It's a fun, it's a fun world and it's a, a fun group of books. Um, I'm also working on two adult books. 
one of them is so obvious where it came from and it is so much fun to write but it and it is i will admit basically just me writing me and i i got to the point where i was tired of writing these books that i thought were going to be super commercial or super you know like for other people or this and i was like you know what i'm just gonna do my goofy goofy dad thing so i'm writing a, a satire piece it's a choose your own adventure um and it's it's sort of like an onward feel the pixar movie um but it's it's all dad jokes it's about a stay-at-home <laughs> dad so like the kind of the normal hero of the the fantasy story is a, is a stay-at-home dad and it's just non-stop puns and references and bad bad jokes and that has been an absolute delight to write that's realistically more for me i don't even know if that one's going to get out there but it's been a joy and then the third one and, and where most of my attention has been and and the most challenging thing i've re written recently and i've been working on a lot is um i'm working on an adult fantasy duology um a duology is a two book series and it's um oof, how can i explain this ba the basic premise of the world is that when you're awake, every every living thing has a twin, but it's not a twin, you know, the way we think of it. So that when you're awake, your twin is watching from behind your eyes. They can't do anything. They're just watching. And when you're asleep, you're watching your twin's life. And you can be twinned to anything. And so that was the basic premise of the world. And that's why there's two books. Everything's in twos there. But it started opening all these neat questions like, you know, what type of world will this be? And it kind of created a cast system world in my head because somebody who's twinned to a cat is going to be maybe a higher job and higher possibilities than somebody twinned to a fly, for example. And what does that look like? And why is this this way? And so it's been this really fascinating world to dive into and a really challenging um, character study. I mentioned everything was in twos and it's told in two time periods. And so you have these three point of view characters and you see them at the very beginning of their journeys, but it keeps flashing to 60 years later. And you see them at the very end of their journeys after there's been a sort of cataclysmic event on the world that they're all pretty much responsible for, these three. And so it's been a really, really interesting um, book to dive into on how to write kind of the beginning and an end of a story as the narrative kind of fills in the middle and fleshes out the choices that led you to that end point as you read. That's been a, a, a fun, fun book to write. Yeah, those all sound really good. And it's got to keep it fresh for you, just bouncing between all three of them instead of going straight Absolutely. through each one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's really cool. So is there anything you're excited about recently in your writing, whether it's these new projects or just working with Steve, just anything? Um, I, I mean, Everdon just went on submission two weeks ago. That was a really exciting moment for me. Um, and having a second book on submission um, has, been, has been a really exciting moment. Um, I think that's probably been the biggest um external excitement recently and i'm i'm curious at the same time i know it'll be months before i hear anything on that one but it's still <laughs> exciting to know it, it might be sooner but 
it's exciting to know that it's out there and it's exciting to know that I have at least two out there and I, I look forward to getting more out there. Um, yeah, I think of the projects that I'm writing, I think, I think Twin Souls, the duology one I mentioned has been, um, probably the most exciting for me to be writing right now. You know why too? It's my first time. That one was my first time going back to adult after I had written a number of middle grade and I realized how much I really enjoy, you know, middle grade is fun. Um, but young adult and adult, there are, there are certain constraints in middle grade in terms of, and I'm not talking about like sex or violence. I mean, that's obvious. And, and honestly, Twin Souls doesn't have any sex and kind of minimal violence. No, and, well, it does have some, but it's, it's more about the constraints of word length and complexity. And, you know, you have to keep things a certain level of simplicity for it to be a middle grade novel. And when you're writing adult, you don't have those constraints and you are, you can do crazy things with structure like I'm doing, and you can dive deep into characters. And I, I think there's, there was something liberating about going back to the adult genre that I had kind of missed. And I think that was uh, really exciting for me. Yeah. And it's, I love how everything's so different and, when you work on different projects, it really makes you a better writer, especially working in different age categories, because you have to play with, you know, the constraints of the genre and the category and word count mm -hmm. and stuff. So you, you can't just keep doing the same thing, which is great, actually, for creativity. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So, Chris, do you have any advice for querying writers who are feeling discouraged or want to give up? I think... I think I have a few. I, as I said earlier, I mean, the, the single biggest and best piece of advice by far is to work on something else. Um, that is, there, there is no better advice than that. It is the only thing that kept me sane uh, in those years. And I would recommend that a billion times for any querying writer at all. And, and know when to pivot. You know, it's okay to pivot to a new project, you know, if you've sent, you know, a hundred queries or 150 queries and you're not getting any requests, chances are it's time to try shelving that project for now. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with that project. It means that for whatever reason, and it could be the market, you know, it, they, it could be something else. It's just not the right time for it. Or people don't think that particular thing is selling for whatever reason you know, you might want to try something else. That's, that's the kind of general advice. The, uh, the other thing I would mention is really know your goals and be really concrete about that. I have a number of friends, I mentioned I'm in all these writing groups and I have a number of friends who their biggest goal is to get an agent. Mm -hmm. And I kind of always press them on that. And I was like, okay, and then what? And, and what kind of agent do you want and why? Why do you want an agent? And, and what does that mean? Or they'll say, you know, my biggest goal is to get a book deal. And it's kind of like, okay, well, well, why? What specifically is it? The truth is that, you know, it is a very hard business and the majority of people querying are not going to get agented. And then of those people getting agented, not all of them are going to get book deals. 
That is a sad truth. It is a ridiculously hard business. However, at the same time, it's easier than ever to get published. Self-publishing is a valid thing and it's ridiculously easy. If your goal is to um, go to bookstores and do book signings and to do small events and maybe make a little money, but you don't like need to be like making, you know, like tens of thousands of dollars and you don't even expect any of that. Consider small press. Small press is getting, and, and there's a range of small press. Amazon is technically small press. I think of Amazon as the fifth big five already because the others merged into four. And it's honestly as big as the other four. It's actually way bigger as a, as a business. So there's a wide range of that. Like consider that too. As somebody who's been small press published, there's, there's a lot I'm really proud of with my three small press books. I got out there. I, I was doing book events. I've, I've had people tell me they love my books. I've had people from countries all over the world comment to me. I, I've had fans in India and Malaysia and Ireland, and they tell me that they love my book. And this is just a little small press book. And I still reached that level. And I still got, you know, some money for it. And, you know, that's for a lot of people, that's their goal. These are things you can do without an agent. I'm not trying to discourage the agent query. I'm just saying, be realistic about your goals and be open to other avenues if it's starting to weigh you down. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a viable option. I have a local writing group and a lot of them go through self-publishing and they love it. Mm -hmm. And on, well, and I will actually mention too, there are, there are cons to the big press too. Um, the big press, you know, and, and I have friends in the big press too. It's there, there are definite pros to, to, um, self-publishing like regular royalties like controlling when your book goes on sale and and then there's the whole game of if you're in the big press you're not necessarily expected to meet your advance the the truth is 75 percent of books don't meet their advance but let's say you get you know a twenty thousand dollar advance and you only sell five thousand dollars worth of books they see all that data the next time you're up for a book deal and that's when they start kind of pushing you out of the big press. It's a it's a gamble, in other words. It's a it's a tricky business. So you kind of either make it big, or you you might be looking to go to that route to small press anyway in the long run. Yeah, for sure. So, Chris, do you have any funny or strange querying stories in your what would you say eight years of querying? Besides, uh, Steve, you know your first query falling through the cracks <laughs> like that that was yeah that was a funny one um strange query stories i'm not sure um it, actually i would i would say the, the weirdest thing I'd, i already shared was getting those two full responses the one saying it was too fast and the one saying it was too slow within a day of each other that was just that was bizarro world day <laughs> i was like what is happening <laughs> I was I was about the weirdest one I ever got. Oh, actually, I do have one other funny story. I had I had this was actually with Everdon. 
I had long since stopped querying it. This is this is after I parted ways with the agent I had signed with. And I had kind of forgotten about it, moved on. I had gone back into querying other things. And all of a sudden I get this email and I was like, wait, what? And I had to look back and I had sent her just an original query and she wanted to see the book. And it was, I want to say two and a half years after I sent her the query. Oh, no. That was the longest response. And she apologized and she had moved agencies and she was just digging through her things. <laughs> she ended up passing on it anyway. It was it was fine, but it was I was like two and a half years. How long are you gonna take to get back if you were my agent? <laughs> that was that was very strange. My goodness. So I like to wrap up these episodes by playing a little game. So if your book was going to be turned into a movie or TV show, who could you picture playing your characters? Because this could be absolutely any of your 1,000 books. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have too many books, uh, too many books in progress and out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I See, the hard thing is I'm really, really bad at actors' names. So I'll do my best. <laughs> Um, I might just like name other characters there. I'm, I'm actually terrible with actors' names. Um, I'm trying to think which book I would say. Um, I feel like, well, I feel like for I feel like for Starkeeper, I would honestly love it if Starkeeper was animated. I think it would make a wonderful animated movie. It might make a good live action movie, but like I just picture it more like a like a Pixar kind of movie. It's that kind of um, world and and kind of or like a Miyazaki type of feel of a movie. Um, but I could totally see David Tennant playing the Man in the Moon. <laughs> I I just I can see that. I think he has like the right voice, the right persona. Um, the main character is, is 13 years old. I honestly don't know any 13-year-old actors. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's um, and then the woman in the sun is one of the other main characters. I'm totally picturing, and I'm blanking on her name, um, but she's um, Galadriel in Lord of the Rings. Oh, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could totally see her as like the woman in the sun. Nice. Voice-wise, again, just voice. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. I know. I, I would love to see just anybody I know have, a, first of all, a book deal, but just then to have it turned into a movie. I think that's like the coolest thing. It's, it's you know, it is the dream. And, you know, I just started watching... Um, Shadow and Bone, the Netflix version. Yes. And there are some just amazing adaptations out there. And I just finished, even before this one came out, I just finished rewatching um, Amazon's Good Omens. I have to say that is probably my favorite book adaptation ever. Absolutely. And I know it's because Gaiman wrote every word of it himself and produced it. But it's just like to have something like that where it's so true to the book and so lovingly created and performed i would yeah that's obviously that's a dream for anybody absolutely well thank you so much for being here chris this was such a great episode um thanks so, for having me absolutely um so could you tell everybody where they could find you online 
Sure. Uh, my website is Christopher, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R, Menino, M-A-N-N-I-N-O dot com. Um, and then I'm on uh, Amazon as well and Goodreads and all those fun bookish places. But ChristopherMenino.com is the best place to find me. All right. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. And I'll have to invite you back when you get a book deal. Oh, I look forward to that. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of From Spark to Shelf. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at From Spark to Shelf. That's From Spark to Shelf with the number two. You can also leave a question by emailing us at fromsparktoshelf at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you may have. Stay inspired and happy querying!